0: Lived in New York City, seven total, one brother, six sisters, and the brother convinced all of his sisters to never marry. The last sister died in 1931 in the same old run-down house that they all lived in. Her only dress was one she made herself and she wore for the past 25 years. Never married, never had kids, never traveled, never fixed up her house or herself, and what no one knew was that when the last of the Wendells passed away that they had received a huge inheritance from their parents, valued at more than $100 million, mind you, in 1931. This week I got onto online and found an inflation calculator, and if you plug it in and put the year 1931, that's equivalent to $1.4 billion today. That's so much money that if I inherited that much money today at age 33 and had six sisters to divide it with, and we all lived to be a hundred, each of us would have to would only be able to spend our allowance of just three million a year. Just each of us. I read that story and I think to myself, what a waste. To have had all of that tucked away, dug in a hole in the ground somewhere, or I don't know where they had it, what a waste. Jesus counsels us to have a different approach, Amen? amen? To whom much is given from him, much will be required. And so this morning, I want to turn to the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew Chapter 5, 6, and 7. Here Jesus' ministry has just begun. He's called together his disciples. He's done some preaching and he's done some healing. But this Sermon on the Mount is in many respects Jesus' inaugural address. To a very large crowd from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan, Scripture tells us in a few verses right before, and as Jesus speaks, they are drawn in, because it is contrary to all that they have heard from the priests and the rabbis. Up until now, only the healthy and the wealthy and the Jewish race, they were the only ones that were blessed. But rather, Jesus' first words of this sermon took everyone by surprise, took them back. Blessed It says in chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The complete opposite of what the priests and the rabbis taught. In fact, in verse 20, Jesus goes as far as to say, Unless your righteousness exceeds that righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. This is radical stuff. You see, the letter of the law was strictly enforced. But the spirit of the law, that was a different story, completely neglected. Oh, that that would never be said of us. And while we'll not be taking the time to look at each one, that six different times in chapter 5, Jesus says, You have heard it said, but I say to you, They think they're so self-righteous because they do not murder or commit adultery or divorce improperly, but Jesus gives them and us a much deeper understanding of each of those things and how all of us can be guilty of, yes, murder and adultery. Jesus further outlines how we should turn the other cheek and not just love our friends, but our enemies as well. You have heard it said, But I say to you, and in the heart of this sermon on the mount, we find today's passage that still, I believe, speaks volumes for our time in 2012, in a time of materialism and self-indulgence, where people live to work and work to possess, in a world obsessed with fashion and entertainment and sports. Where the wealthy and affluent are idolized. Where pride is called self-confidence and greed is called providing for your family. Where extravagant vacations have become the absent father's attempt to buy back the affection of his children. Where the smartphone is king and all social interaction is crippled by that blank, squ- squ- blank stare excuse me to that two by three inch screen. You've seen it before. In fact, I have thought about creating an app. It's going to be called How to Save Your Marriage. And you'll download that app and you'll click on it and in bright, big, red letters it'll it'll say, Put it down! (laughs) wonder how much I'd make on that app. Yes, I believe these words from the lips of Jesus are more pertinent today than they were 2,000 years ago. Matthew 6 Verses 19 and 20. Matthew 6, reading verse 19 and 20. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear that phrase, treasure? Do not store for yourselves treasure on earth. When you think of treasure, do you think of a treasure chest, perhaps, buried at the bottom of the ocean, filled with coins? you think of money or wealth or a big bank account? One study I came across this week showed that the top concern of college freshmen, 78% of college freshmen, when choosing their major the number one thing they look at, well, I just don't ever want to have to worry about money. Sounds like they're already worried about it. The reality is you have to live within your means. The numbers on your paycheck are ultimately irrelevant because you'll have bills that will match it, right? If not exceed it. In other parts of the world, all of us would be rich for the simple fact that we're not hungry. It's estimated that one billion out of the seven billion on the planet today are hungry and malnourished. Today. That's equivalent of all of North America and Europe combined. Mothers who have nothing to feed their starving children. In fact, hunger is the world's number 1 health risk. Kills more people every year than AIDS and malaria and tuberculosis combined. Yet in the face of that, here in America, consumers spend an enormous amount of money on non-essentials. I'll give you a few examples. 604 billion on going out to eat in 2011. 48 billion on the pet industry expenditures. You ever traveled overseas and seen how pets are treated? $20 billion for video and computer games. $19 billion on home entertainment products. And the list continues. We've adopted that motto. He who dies with the most toys wins. New houses, cars, furniture, electronics. Not because the old one has worn out, but because it's no longer top of the line. We need the newest and the latest and the greatest. The reality is most of us could live on half of our income if we had to. Major life adjustments? Yes. Would you ever be hungry? Probably not. The reality is we don't want to. We want both of us to work two jobs. Together we put in 100 hours a week while someone else raises our kids and enjoys all the first. The first words, the first steps, the first time riding a bike. And society has told us to invest in stocks and bonds and CDs and mutual funds. But if you really want to play it safe, invest in the housing market. We're not going to take the time this morning, but I came across study after study after study that showed Americans get their self-worth from how much they make. Americans are very willing to give up personal time just so they can make more money. Americans spend even when they can't afford it. Shocker. And that the number one issue couples fight about, finances, but you already knew that. And as a result of our desire to make more money, we are stressed out and severely sleep-deprived. But what are we really investing in? What's the point? What are we hoping to gain You might be sitting there in your smug complacency and say, okay, 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 I get your point. But I don't have that problem. I'm in high school or I'm in college and I'm just trying to pay my bill. I don't have any money. I don't even have a car. And buying a house, that's the last thing on my mind. I'm just living off of ramen noodles and cereal. Well, let me ask you, Is time a treasure in our society today? Well, if I only had more time. I know I should get up and read in the morning, but I really need my rest. Daddy will read you a story later, sweetheart. Daddy's really busy right now. Does right now ever come? I know the church needs my help with this evangelistic campaign, but I have to go to work to support my habits and the lifestyle I enjoy time is a treasure where are you investing it now please don't misunderstand me there's nothing wrong with having money or even a lot of it there are plenty of examples in scripture of extremely rich and wealthy people Abraham and Job come to mind they were both extremely wealthy But the challenge comes that the more we have, the greater our responsibilities to keep everything in order, to maintain it all, and if we're not careful, the easier it is for us to lose our focus on what's most important. Having and acquiring can take priority over everything else, yet I come back to Jesus' timeless counsel. On the Sermon on the Mount. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on this earth. Why? Because here on earth, moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Let's face it, things on earth deteriorate. They can be stolen. It's a bad investment, Jesus says. You're spinning your wheels. You know, moths are one of the most devastating pests. They can wipe out an entire fortune in just a matter of minutes. The swarm comes and devours and leaves nothing. And if it's not moss, it's termites or rot or tornadoes or hurricanes, earthquakes, wildfires. And then there's rust. Now, I took the island hopper on my way to Ponape, and Majuro was one of the islands we would hit. It's this tiny, narrow little island. You're not even sure if you're landing on anything but water when you touch down on it. The life expectancy of a car on Majuro, new car because of rust, two to three years. It's only a matter of time. Rust will sneak its way in. And whether it's a washer and dryer, clothes stained by rust, whether it's work tools left out by your kids at night, pocket knives, computers, stereos, freezers, lawnmowers, rake shovels, like sin, it slowly gets started. And if you allow, it takes over. So whether it's organic, whether it's metal, it's going to deteriorate. But that's okay, you say, you say. Real valuable stuff is gold and silver and diamonds. Never seen a rusty diamond, have you? No, but I haven't ever seen a stolen one either because it's gone. Our lives have been forever altered by this reality of thieves that break in and steal. That's why we have car locks, house locks, gate lots, deadbolts, fences, security guards, alarm systems, hidden cameras, laser beams, motion sensors, glass detectors, guard dogs, handguns, BB guns, and tripwires. All because of the thief. Bottom line, there are no true earthly investments. Is it true? Nothing is 100% secure. That's why someone invented insurance. And let me tell you, there's no guarantees there either. <laughs> so, what is the answer? Jesus tells us again, Matthew chapter 6 Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also very simple jesus says store your treasure in heaven and you might say well how do i do that well by focusing on things that we can take with us to heaven things that are not bound to this earth and what is not bound to earth people it makes sense when we pack for a trip We don't worry about all the things that we can't take with us. We're only focused on, what should I bring? That's how you store treasure in heaven. You focus on what you're going to take with you. You spend personal time with Jesus each day. You invest heavily with your means, your resources, your time into the church and its evangelistic purposes. Maybe it's beginning a small group Bible study in your home. Or just saying, hey, I'll host a small group. In my home. Maybe it's learning the names of your neighbors and eventually having some understanding of their spiritual condition. Because I believe we have an incredible end time message to share. That nobody else, nobody else is sharing. A message that will be a safeguard against the wiles of the devil at end time. And in time, I believe, is now. The message to fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. It's not about converting everybody to Adventism. It's about delivering a timely message that nobody else is sharing. To prepare a people to meet Jesus. Now, Pastor Charles and Sharon... Today we commend you both for your commitment to storing treasure in heaven, for being instruments in the hands of God, in fearlessly but lovingly sharing God's message of truth and hope and love, not just in word but in action, while we recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from above. We also recognize your commitment and surrender to Jesus to be used by him for his purposes. There's no other job quite like pastoral ministry. Your life in many respects is not your own. You're on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You have meetings that go late into the night, but are still expected to be another one that starts in Charlotte at 9 a.m. the next morning. You're expected to work all week, and when the rest of the week takes a weekend break, that's often your busiest time. And really, everything that goes on in this building ultimately is your responsibility. (laughs) Finance committee, church board, school board, family life committee, conference committees, hospital board, hospital (laughs) visitation, in-home visitation, Bible studies, evangelism, community involvement, and community services, keeping a close eye on your inexperienced associate. The never-ending email and voice messages, all of which are urgent, many dealing with delicate issues, complaints, family crises, marital problems within the church, all the while supporting VBS, Pathfinders and their outings, youth and young adults, pre-marriage counseling, passing safety inspections, making sure the doors are open at the right time, having the baptismal tank filled and warm... Being a visionary, planning calendar events, church socials, birthday parties, prayer meetings, Vesper programs, and always having just the right words and illustration to share. Making everything come together with a group of volunteers who may or may not be motivated or experienced, and whenever they lack tact or shirk in their duty, the pastor is the first to hear about it. And to think, I was treated this way by someone in the church. What are you going to do about it, pastor? This was in some of his former churches, of course. (laughs) And now it's Thursday night. And your sermon is still looming over your shoulder, yet your family is in need of your attention tonight. Because you are that too, the model of what a perfect, well-balanced family should be. The fishbowl. Yet all the while you are constantly asked, what does a pastor really do? (laughs) I mean, really, you only work one day a week. There are times when your much-needed vacation has arrived, and you have planned a special getaway. The car is packed. Your hotel was booked far in advance. All the arrangements have been made, and just as you are pulling out of the driveway, the phone rings, and reluctantly you answer to find out that there's been a death of a dear member in your church, and the family is calling on you to be by their side and do the funeral. No, there is no other job quite like pastoral ministry. But by God's grace, and only by God's grace, I believe you and Sharon have made it look easy. Your ministry has impacted this church in very real and practical ways in the past 10 years, and for that we say thank you. Elizabeth and I have been blessed tremendously in the short time we've been here, how you both are so approachable, how you genuinely care for people and their families, how you care for each other and your own family, in your giftedness to make such a large church seem so personable on Sabbath morning, how you stand for your convictions and for truth in a way that's not condescending or judgmental how you both approach the work with humility and dependence on Christ for every success and for the way that a service like this makes you feel uncomfortable. Yes, we are blessed because you chose to use your doctorate not to store up piles of earthly treasures so you could retire in style. I know he's not retiring for another 10 years, so let's just squash that one right now. No, we are blessed because you have chosen to invest rather in a treasure that by God's grace will never spoil or fade. A lasting treasure that will live on into eternity. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also We'd like to think that ultimately you're all these wonderful things because of us. (laughs) But we know that it's not. It's because your heart is so connected with Jesus Christ that you want to serve him with everything you've got. And because of that heart connection, that's where you invest your treasure. And the same question should be asked for all of us. Where is your treasure? Where is your heart? Because Matthew six twenty one says they're both in the same place. So I want to challenge you and myself: store your treasure in heaven. Things in this world will rust; will, will rust. They'll rust, and they'll rot away. Store your treasure in heaven. If the Lord came today, would your bank account matter? Would your car matter? Would your clothes matter? Would your GPA matter? Or would people matter? Store your treasure in heaven. Jesus died on the cross so that we could store treasure in heaven. Is it true? So we could have something better, something we could depend on. Don't let that sacrifice be in vain for you or anyone else. Store your treasure in heaven. When the curtain closes and all is said and done, don't be like the windles. Don't leave it all behind. But store your treasure in heaven because the day will come when we will see the fruit of our labors, when we will see the final outcomes of our investments while here on earth and what will be our response. Will we have any regrets? The world tells us we need all this stuff. But how insignificant all that will be compared to being approached in the kingdom and told, thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm a life that was changed. The reality is where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Where is your treasure? Where is your heart? They're in the same place. So if changes need to be made, and I encourage you to make them today, don't let another day go by. Reorganize your life. Reprioritize. See where some significant changes need to take place and do them. Give your heart to Jesus today and by His grace, start investing in eternity. Dear Lord, today we humbly come before you asking for your forgiveness. Forgiveness for having mixed up priorities. Forgiveness for forgetting the big picture. Forgiveness for thinking even for a moment that it was all about us. Lord, this morning, we want to take your words to heart. Spoken 2,000 years ago, but so relevant to us today. Lord, we want to make investments in eternity and to do what we need to do to make the changes we need to make and how we invest our time and our energy and our resources. And so this morning we give you our bills, our work schedules, our financial pressures. Lord, we give you our heart and ask that you will show us what adjustments need to be made so, when that day comes, we won't live with any regrets, but we'll be so glad we gave, so glad we invested in people, in spreading your precious three angels' message to the world around us. By your grace, Lord, change our heart that we may store heavenly treasures. Our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse